All right. Well, I have had the honor and privilege of getting to go and work on the church the last couple of weeks. I've had a little bit of extra time on my hands um, for one reason or another. And uh, it has been a blessing for me um, to be able to do that. Uh, when uh, the incident happened that causes me to have more time, um, I was pretty concerned. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, God's doing some awesome things through it. Um, you know, God can take the things that we that we find scary, the things that we find uh, um, bad, and just make them into something great. Um, and so I am looking forward to seeing what God is going to continue to do uh, in, in my family's life um, and uh, see where he's going to take us. Because where God wants us to take you is a whole lot better than what we can take ourselves. Amen. 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 Brother, at your back, you know all about that, right? <laughs> amen, amen. All right, so tonight um, we're going to be in the book of Acts, um, chapter 9. Um, we've talked a lot in, in the book of Acts um, lately. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the greatest books in the Bible. Um, it shows us um, what the future church is supposed to be like. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of characters in the book of Acts that uh, um, we can relate to and we can, uh, we can say, I want to be like that, or I don't want to be like that. Um, but I think Acts is a fantastic book. It shows us the power of the Holy Spirit. It shows us um, the power of God and how He works in our life. Um, but tonight I want to talk about the book of uh, talk in the book of Acts, chapter nine. Um, this passage uh, that I'm going to be reading uh, most most typically is uh, known as Saul's conversion story. Everybody knows this story. Um, his his Damascus Road experience. Um, it is, describes a dramatic encounter between Saul and Jesus and on the road to Damascus, the encounter that started Saul down a new path that would make him the most prolific evangelist of the early church and the most prolific writer in the New Testament, writing more books than anybody else in the New Testament. I feel like I'm too far back. Um, in this passage, though, it also describes an encounter a little less dramatic than, than Saul. He wasn't blinded. Um, this other guy wasn't blinded by, by Jesus, uh, but Jesus and this guy still had an encounter. Um, this man's name was Ananias. Ananias had a vision from God showing him what he needed to do, what he should do. Uh, this is after Saul was blinded on the road to Damascus. Saul usually gets most of the attention on this because, well, Saul was a pretty great dude after he was converted um, and became Paul. But today I... I want to talk about, and I want to, I want you, I want to direct your attention to Ananias. Ananias um, was a common foot soldier for for the Lord's army. Uh, he he doesn't get a lot of attention. Nobody really mem remembers him. Um, the Lord didn't blind him with a bright light. The Lord didn't change his name. And as far as we know, the Lord didn't send him faraway places where he would suffer floggings and imprisonment and shipwrecks and all kind of other hardships like Paul did. But the Lord did not. The Lord didn't give him assignments to change his world so that our world would, be, would still be reverter, reverberating from the impact. But the Lord did give Ananias an assignment. The Lord gave Ananias an assignment to change the world, the world for one person. For one person. And for that reason, it's worth paying as much attention to this account as it is the account of Saul's conversion. Ananias and Jesus have an encounter as well as Saul and Jesus. 
You and I may never be asked to change the world, but you and I will be asked from time to time to change the world for one person. We've been talking a lot about discipleship lately, and I think that this is, uh, this is what uh, Ananias was able to do with Saul. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're probably going to go through all, well, 1 through 20, um, but we'll, we'll, they'll be split up as we go along. But Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues and at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. If you're wondering what version I'm using, I'm using the ESV version tonight. In the book of Acts, the Saul, Saul is introduced pretty dramatically. Uh, the first thing we hear about Saul is after Stephen has delivered his prophetic message in, in Acts 7. He's, Stephen is seized by an angry crowd, taken outside of the city, and stoned. Uh, I don't believe that this was an act of, uh, of a legal action that was taken. I don't believe that this was something that the Sanhedrin or the council was said to go do. I believe this was just something like a lynching. Um, but Saul approved of this execution. We see this in Acts um, 8, verse 1. Now, whether Saul was a legal representative of the, of the Sanhedrin is unclear, but the verbiage that uh, we, we see here of approved, it, it, it can mean more, more of an illegal approvement. Um, so Saul is described as ravaging the church, um, and this word ravaging is used normally in terms of war, um, in acts of war. So what is the Sanhedrin? Um, the Sanhedrin is mentioned multiple times throughout the New Testament. We first see it in, in Matthew 26, then again in Mark 14 and 15. We see it in John 11. Um, and all of, all of these are in, in encompassing of the uh, trial that Jesus stood. Uh, the Sanhedrin um, are, the, are the ones that were putting Jesus through all the questioning and all that stuff. Um, in Acts 4 and Acts 5, we see Peter and John going through the same thing. Um, as they were imprisoned, and Acts 6 and 7, Stephen also went before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is basically just the Supreme Council, um, the tribunal. They're, they're the government of the Jews. Um, they were headed by a high priest, and uh, they had religious, civil, and criminal jurisdictions. So basically, they were judge, jury, and ultimately executioners. Um, there's a debate on how many uh, were in the Sanhedrin, uh, from what I found, anywhere between 23 and 71. But what's not a debate is who were involved. They were all men. Obviously, no women back in the day were part of it. Um, let's move on. Verse 3 says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? You know, I, I've read this a ton of times, and I've always kind of had this question, why did Paul say, who are you, Lord? Why, why did he say that? Why did Saul say that? Because um, to me, to us, when we say, Lord, who are we talking to? We're talking to God. Um, but, but here in this instance, I believe that this word Lord is not meaning as in God, our Heavenly Father, but I believe this word Lord is is basically being used as a back in back in those days um, the word Lord was not used in the fullness of its meaning like it is today um, in many cases and we see this through the Gospels it was used as a natural utterance of respect and awe um, we see this in John 5 7 
John 9.36 and John 20.15. Um, and because of what Saul saw, because of what Saul heard, we can expect that this would have been the response that he had given. And moving on, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Verse 7, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now we're going to get into uh, verse 10 here. And this is where this is where Ananias comes into the picture. Uh, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias says, here I am, Lord. I, I want to make a connection between what Saul said and what Ananias said. Saul asked, who are you, Lord? He had no idea who was speaking to him. But Ananias, Ananias just said, here I am, Lord. I, he knew who he was. He knew who was speaking to him. Ananias knew. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I want to make a, a, a distinction here real quick. Um, throughout the book of Acts, like I said earlier, we, we see a lot of different characters. But we also see a lot of the same name. Uh, we see it actually three times, three different people. Um, we see it first with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Ananias is the husband of Sapphira um, who, sold, uh, who sold land and then held back money and lied about it to the spirit, and then both of them were killed. Um, so this is not the Ananias, it's not the same one. We also see later on in, the, in chapter 23 in the book of Acts, Ananias being the chief priest. Um, this once again is not the same. Uh, this, this chief priest, Ananias, uh, is the one who was overseeing Paul's trial in Jerusalem um, that bounced around from place to place <laughs> trying to, um, to get Paul. But uh, this Ananias that we're talking about was a disciple in Damascus. This was a resident of Damascus. He wasn't um, a person that, uh, I believe, moved after the, uh, the persecution. Uh, but this was the, the man that lived in Damascus that's going to lay hands on Saul and heal his sight. So tonight I want to discuss briefly the important details about Ananias that I believe the author of Acts is trying to tell us. I believe each book, I believe each thing written in the Bible is written for a reason. Uh, I don't think there's anything that's put in there by mistake. I don't think there's anything that's put in there that we can't use. Uh, I know there's a couple books in the Bible that we hardly ever hear anything preached up or never, uh, but I do believe there's a purpose for them. Um, but tonight I want to talk about Ananias. Um, so number one, uh, three things about Ananias that I, I believe the author wants us to grasp, the author wants us to get, is Ananias hears God. Ananias knows God's voice. Uh, we, we read in Acts 22, verse 12, um, this is Paul speaking here, um, that Ananias was a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews that dwelt in Damascus. This indicates that he was not one of the refugees from the persecution in Jerusalem described in Acts 8.1, but he was more of a convert that, that lived in Damascus. Ananias... 
first, Ananias first. Well, he was he was one of the people that Paul that Saul was coming to persecute. Okay, um, but how how can Ananias hear God's voice? How how is he able to know who God is? How is he able to to know that it is God and not somebody else? Because Saul he couldn't understand that he didn't know. I believe there's two main things that, that help us as Christians hear and understand and know the voice of God. Number one, I think that's prayer. I think that's prayer. When you get a phone call on the phone and you answer it, and if it's your mother, how many in here know it's their mother? If you don't, you should call her more often. If if you're if if you have a family member that calls you, you know who it is. If you have a telemarketer that calls you and sa- and says, "Hi, my name is Jim," you have no idea who that is, right? You've never heard them before, and you don't want to talk to them. All right. So I think prayer is number one key to knowing God's voice, understanding God, because without having a conversation with God, without having a relationship with God, without being able to hear His voice over and over and over, whether it be audible or whether it be something inside your heart, something inside your spirit, I don't think there's a way we can understand otherwise. In John 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If we don't know God's voice, then we don't know where God wants to take us. We don't know what God wants us to do. And so we're lost. In Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says, Call to me and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Without knowing the voice of God, we are unable to know where God is going to take us. We are unable to know what the future holds. And without being in God's will, it's a scary place. John 8, 47 says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So we, we, know, we know Paul, he was raised um, to be a Pharisee. He was a very smart guy. He knew the law like, like the back of his hand. I don't know where that saying came from. Um, but Saul knew, knew what the word said. He followed the law. In fact, he was so mad that it, Christ had come, and Jesus now says the, the law has been fulfilled, and you don't have to follow the law. You have to follow Jesus. And so they made him so mad. But I think that, that if we don't hear the word of God, I think we're lost and we're astray. And number two, I think that God's word, this Bible, this book that we read every day, hopefully, I think this is the, uh, the number two key to being able to know what God's, God's voice is. Because we hear all kinds of voices, don't we? We hear you should keep this job, you should get that promotion, you should go do this, you should go do that. But what does God's word say? What does God's word say about it? I think if, if, we, if we continue to listen to the things of this world and we don't weigh them against the Bible, we're going to be in trouble. Because there this word is infallible. This word is perfect. There is no, there's no contradictions. There's no, nothing in here that's incorrect. And so if we follow what God's word says, we can hear his voice, we can know it, and we can have an abundant life. Moving on to verse 13. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I think it's important to note that these words are of interest as showing both the duration and the character of the persecution in which Saul had been the leader. The report of it had spread far and wide. The refugees at Damascus told of the suffering of the brethren in Jerusalem. Um, I was curious to see how far away Damascus was from Jerusalem because, you know, when you read the, where these places are, you know, they travel from here to there. You know, it could be from Centerton to Benville, you know. I mean, they're walking, so obviously it will take a while. Well, I looked it up, and uh, according to Google Maps um, navigation, if I were to walk straight from Damascus to Jerusalem, it's going to take me 60 hours, nonstop, without stopping at all. So that's approximately 180 hours. 180 miles um, just walking. So these people, they came from Jerusalem to Damascus to get away from Saul. Um, and so the news of Saul coming to Damascus had already reached Damascus because Ananias knows. Ananias knows that Saul is on his way there. So some people were in a hurry to get to Damascus. That's a long way away, but Bad news travels pretty fast. So this, that leads me to believe that, that what Saul did with Stephen, his approval of Stephen's um, stoning was not a single instance. It leads me to believe that Saul was not, that wasn't the only time that he approved of something like that or was involved in something like that. We don't get all the history, we don't get all the stories accompanied with each individual in the Bible, but I think God inspired the men of God to write the Bible in a way that will give us clues to what is going on outside of each of these biblical stories. Sometimes you've got to do a little research. Sometimes you just got to look a little deeper. But um, I think God strategically put this, this pattern in play for a reason. I believe that, that Saul was probably one of the most violent persecutors of, of all the rest. He wasn't the only one, obviously, but he was probably one of the most violent. Paul, Saul probably caused more havoc for the church than anyone else. They already knew of, the, of his errand to Damascus at this time. And they knew it was just to come to persecute the Christians. Those that were involved in the way. They knew that he had authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on, on Jesus' name. And to treat his disciples as the worst of criminals. Bad news travel. And even the man of God that can hear God's voice, knowing that all these things were coming. And which brings us to my second point. Ananias was scared. Ananias was fearful. He was double-checking with God to make sure that God gave him the right person. You know who I'm talking about. Saul, right? You remember him, right? Now, I mean, why, why does Ananias object? Obviously, we know why he objects, but... Does, does he say, Lord, I don't owe him anything? No. Does he, does he, does he say, why, why would I be kind to him? Why would I go and do this for him? He's coming here to, to persecute us, to, to take us to prison. Why would I do any of that? He doesn't. All he does is try to inform God of what's going on. Like God doesn't know, right? But I think Christ has already taught Ananias a lesson. Now, now, 
beat his maid, Ananias was, was, would have been afraid at this point. I, I would imagine. Who could not be? Um, but I believe at this point, Christ had already taught Ananias to render good for evil, blessings for cursing, and to pray for persecutors. See, Ananias had not only heard of how Saul had been systematically destroying the church in Jerusalem, hunting down men and women and, and turning them over to the authorities, but also knew that he was on the march to Damascus, ready to destroy that church as well. Paul's hatred for Christ and his followers was common knowledge. We can well imagine that Ananias and the other believers were terrified as they awaited Saul and his men, for they knew their lives might be lost for the sake of Christ. They must have awaited his arrival at the city with great dread. And now here God asks Ananias to go and confront the ringleaders of the persecutors. Ananias takes the opportunity to remind God of Saul's credentials. After all, Saul has done a lot of harm to the saints of Jerusalem. And now he's ready to bind all who call on, on your name in Damascus. Ananias showed weakness here. He did not have unwavering trust in God. And as a matter of fact, he kind of reminds me of myself in a way. Um, I suspect I would have probably said the same thing to God, you know, just in case God somehow forgot. Because <laughs> um, after all, you know, Saul, he was dangerous. You know, didn't God know? Didn't God know that? I mean... I often wonder if missionaries don't react the same way when they feel their hearts stirred for a particular nation or a people. You know, God, uh, don't you know that country's closed to missionaries? I mean, they're getting they're getting thrown in prison. They're they're getting persecuted in that nation in China. There's you're not allowed to be an open missionary there. And if I go there, that's going to happen. That could happen to me or my family. I mean, have you ever been afraid of doing what God has asked you to do? I mean, obviously we read of Jonah. I mean, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? He got swallowed by a whale. But have you ever been afraid of doing something that God wanted you to do? Has God ever asked you to quit a job? Um, or to, um, you know, you're barely scooting by and buying food for your family. Has, has he asked you to give um, out of your finances? Has God asked you to, to give up relationships? Um, has God asked you to, to do away with that relationship that's constantly draining you, that's constantly pulling you away from, from God? Has God asked you to start a new relationship? You know, like I said, we were talking about discipleship a lot. Reli discipleship takes relationship. Have, have, has God asked you to do that? Yes, He has. Just so you know. God has asked you to do that. He's, if you're a Christian, God has asked you to disciple. That involves relationship. So God has asked us to do that. Has God asked you to do something that scares you? Has God asked you to do something with your family, um, with your kids, with your spouse? I know for me, being, being the, 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 head of, the head of our family, the spiritual leader of our home, to me that's frightening because... I've got three kids and, and, a, and a wife, and I am the spiritual leader of the home. What goes on in the home, I'm responsible for. 
You know, what, the, what, the, what my kids learn, I'm responsible for. I know the Bible says if you raise up a child in the way he should go, that he won't depart from it, but am I raising my child up in the way that he should go or she go? You know, you do your best, but the rest you've got to depend on God for. Amen? Amen? Doing what God asks isn't always easy. Sometimes it takes sacrifice. Sometimes it takes getting out of our comfort zone. And sometimes it just takes a leap of faith. Ananias knew that God had called him to it. So he had to step out. And Ananias had to walk in faith. I think, it's, uh, I think faith is shown the most when we're asked to do something and we don't know how to do it, or we don't know what the outcome's going to be. I think that's when faith shows itself the most. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is, the, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. God knew all about Saul. In the next verse, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God knew exactly who Saul was and gave Ananias the assurance that he was still in control. As a matter of fact, he would use this man to do incredible things for his kingdom. Saul, the chief of sinners, the persecutor of the church, was God's chosen means of bringing the gospel to great and small Jew and Gentile alike. And number three, Ananias obeys. So first, Ananias hears from God. Ananias gets scared about what God's going to ask him to do, but Ananias still obeys. And I think that's what makes us a good Christian. It's not the fact that we have everything together. It's not the fact that nothing scares us. It's not the fact that we feel adequate at everything we do. It's the fact that if God asks, we do it. Verse number 17 says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. So Ananias, he, he goes before Saul. He has, the, he has the great honor of laying hands on him. And, and God uses Ananias, who knows, maybe the only time in Ananias' life to heal somebody by the laying on of hands. But Ananias touches this broken man. Could you imagine being blind for three days straight, not knowing why? You open your eyes and you can see nothing. All you can do is pray and ask God to heal you. This is what Saul's going through the whole time. I imagine after three days, he's a broken man. He's asking why. But Ananias gets the opportunity to lay hands on, on Saul to heal him. And at that moment, Saul's blindness is ended. And as a symbol of the end of his spiritual blindness, Saul is baptized. And the Bible doesn't say it, but more than likely it's probably by Ananias. We then read that Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. The Bible doesn't say this either, but I can imagine the man that, that, that healed Saul, the man that touched Saul, and that, the man that listened to God and followed and obeyed. 
he was probably the one that Saul, I imagine Saul probably sat at his feet and, and studied under him for a while. I imagine so. At this point, Ananias fades from the story. Um, we don't see Ananias anymore. Um, and it, his role in the drama of Acts is small, but yet it's so significant. If it hadn't been for Ananias, Paul would have never been born. Reborn. We see a man who wavered when he heard, God, when he heard God's voice. Yet despite his initial hesitation, he was faithful and he was obedient. While at first he thought he might have to correct God, in the end he submitted himself and his very life to God's call. God then used this man to further his purpose in launching the career of the most influential of the apostles. Ananias, Ananias' small act of obedience led to the great harvest of the kingdom. And this is the lesson of Ananias that, I've, that I try to apply to my life every day. Small acts of obedience that are premised on the Word of God, even when they seem contrary to reason, and even when they seem to challenge what seems so plain, can have great significance. Our perspective is so small, so limited. God's perspective is wide, taking in all of history in a single glance. We need to rely on God. We need to rely on His voice, and we need to trust in that He will not lead us astray. As I close for tonight, you know, I can't help but think that uh, when we're in a place uh, of worship like this, that, uh, that the whole, when the Holy Spirit's moving, I, I, I can't help but think that everything's, we feel like everything's good, everything's okay. Um, and when we come in here, we get rid of all the, all the weights of the world, and, and we, we get rid of all of our cares and all of our, our, all of our worries, um, and we just worship God. But when we leave here tonight, last time I preached, I, I, I talked about the, the water in the wilderness, being this being the, the water in the wilderness being uh, out in the world. Uh, when we leave this place, are we fearless when we leave this place? Is, is, are, are we doing everything that God has asked us to do? I know I'm not. Um, and a lot of it's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'll fail. I'm afraid that I won't do what needs to be done, but we see with Ananias that, yeah, we, we know fears of the devil. We know fear is something that Satan uses to keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. But obedience, obedience is of God. So, I ask you: Is God speaking to you tonight? Is God has God been laying something on your heart? Has God been asking you to do something and you have not done it yet? Is God speaking to you at all? Do you, or do you just feel like you're dormant? Like you're, you're just sitting there and, and there's nothing going on. There's a disconnect. I ask you tonight to make that connection again. To reconnect that. Because there, there, there's a flow up and down. God is constantly... Wanting to commune with us. The only thing that holds it up is are we wanting to commune with Him?
Is God asking you to do something with your job? Is He asking you to do something with your finances? Is He asking you to do something in, in ministry? Is God asking you to do something wherever you're at? And if so, are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Are we willing to do what Ananias did and say, okay, God, I'll go. I'll do it. I don't like it, but I know you're going to make it work out. Tonight, um, Ken, you can come to the piano or you can play some music. Tonight, I want us all to find a place. Because I believe we all fall in one of these categories. The one, we're not hearing from God and we need to hear from God. Because if we don't hear from God, we're alone. Uh, and if we are hearing from God, are we doing what He's asking us to do? Are we taking that step of faith, walking out, leaving our comfort zone, and making God our number one priority, doing whatever it is that He's asked us to do? Because it'll all be better than what we have in mind. So if you could, make an altar where you're at. I'm making all these altars up here always available. Get out of your comfort zone. Just seek God tonight. See where He takes you. Thanks. Amen.